You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Another Zoom session, George Denekian joining Josh Parrish via this incredible platform that has become almost a staple around the globe. Uh, Zoom, who would have thought it meant anything two years ago, but suddenly it's the go-to platform for just about everything. And it allows us, of course, at FNR to be able to not only talk to one another during lockdown, but to reach out and talk to a host of different guests and uh, football identities that we would struggle to get into the studio, especially at the time that we're on air. Welcome to State of Our Football Nation. And as I said earlier, uh, Josh Parrish is with me. And what a week it's been, Josh. So many things have been happening. The Socceroos have played uh, their nemesis, Japan. And just like every other time we've played them in uh, in Japan, uh, we have struggled, have we not? I think every time we go away to Japan, we talk ourselves into thinking we're going to beat Japan, and especially this time when they looked so out of sorts in the previous games. But yeah, I'm a little disappointed we didn't get a result. I would have personally been happy with a draw, considering the poor record that the Socceroos have had playing those away games and the sheer quality in the Japanese squad, regardless of their form. Uh, but yeah, to lose like that uh, in those circumstances with an own goal is is a bit of a sickener, to be honest. It, it really could have put some distance between us and Japan or, or maintained that distance, but now they're totally back in the mix for automatic qualification. When was the last time we were a, an automatic go-to? And I've got to apologise for the audio. Uh, can you believe NBN have decided uh, of all days to uh, to give us an upgrade and they're digging up the street outside? I thought I someone was making that. you a smoothie in the background, George. Yeah, that's, that's very good. It sounds awfully like a very tasty smoothie. Unfortunately, <laughs> it isn't. So apologies for the um, the sound that uh, shouldn't be there, but I'm hoping it's short rather than uh, uh, sustained. Anyway, it may well be over. But let's get back to the, the game. I thought um, Australia struggled early. I thought the Japanese were incisive. Every time they went forward, they really were a threat. Um, Matty Ryan in goal was terrific. He was very strong. I, I can't blame him for any of the, the goals. Um, and yes, we did have two mistakes at the back. But this is the thing of, of football. If you look at what happened between um, France and Spain in the final of the, uh, the new Euro Nations tournament, it was one error, a full back mm-hmm. uh, reaching out to, to put a foot on the ball and accidentally playing onside the guy who was offside, uh, you know, Kylian Mbappe. And, and away we go. He scores the goal. Everyone goes, how can that be? Well, the rule is, for as long as I can remember, has been if the ball is played, uh, you're no longer offside. So I struggle that so many people, um, you know, cannot get their head around it. But unless we change the rules... That's the way it's played, isn't it? Yes. Um, look, you're the referee, man. <laughs> I, I, go, I go to you for all these subtle and very marginal moments. I, I didn't feel there I were any sanity. any refereeing controversies in that game. We can talk about the penalty, but I thought that was a free kick. I thought the contact was outside, and Australia scored from it anyway. So who cares? I, I thought it was a well-refereed fixture on the whole uh, in comparison to some other uh, AFC qualifiers that we've been a part of. Um, I, I don't think we can, you know, at all uh, blame Australia's loss on the officials. 
I felt uh, Graham Arnold made a big mistake with changing his shape and his team selection. So, uh, oddly, with the inclusion of Aaron Moy as a sort of left-sided inside number 10, that uh, he looked at a total fish out of water and it seemed to constrict the space in which uh, Australia's midfield had to play because his movement off the ball was actually drawing opponents closer to Irvine and Hrustich at the base of the midfield and they were getting caught on the ball. So uh, I thought in a game where you're likely to uh, lose out possession-wise to the Japanese and you're likely to get more opportunities in transition, Awan Mabil absolutely should have started on the left-hand side and given Australia a little bit more space and, and width. And speed. Yeah, Because exactly. Aaron Aaron doesn't have too many gears. No. Uh, when he's at his uh, best... He plays at that one pace and occasionally can zip it up, but but that's always been a, a part of him. That the very best critics uh, have always said the thing that separates him from being a truly elite footballer in the in the bigger competitions is the fact that he hasn't got a second or third gear. Uh, and as you say, Owen has uh, you know three or four gears and and then overdrive when he needs it, uh, which is terrific. I'm just wondering. This is a campaign. It's not a one-and-done game. And he needed to introduce Aaron at some stage. And I concur Did with he? you that it... Uh, I don't think he should have because my my stance on Aaron Moisey, like anybody else, should have to be playing regular club football to be considered that, for that's true. selection. That's true. I don't think he's so good that he walks into the team without having played really anything in six months. I mean, we all know his club situation and... Uh, the difficulties with actually staging games in China at the moment, uh, let alone the COVID situation, there's the economic crisis in Chinese football. So I doubt he'll be going back to to Shanghai SIPG or Shanghai Port, as they're now called. Uh, I don't think just training in Scotland uh, is enough to walk into the national team. And Aaron Moy is a player who, if he's out of fitness, you can really, really tell. And he looked vastly underdone in that Japan game. So I don't think it was the right time to reintroduce Aaron Moy to the fold. I think there are other players who are more deserving based on their efforts at club level and their match fitness. Yeah, no, I can't argue with with anything that you've just uh, stated. Um, uh, you look at the game, you watched, especially in the first 20 minutes, the first 25 minutes, and there were instances where our play was suddenly halted because either of a misdirected pass or he just was a pace or a step off getting the ball and making a, a, an incisive pass to another support. Um, and this wasn't, this wasn't just once. It was half a dozen times very closely put together. Uh, and I kept thinking to myself, gee, sometimes you pay for, for loyalty and mm. and I hope tonight is not that night. Uh, and for for what is it, ninety, nearly ninety minutes, we we nearly got away with it, or Arnie nearly got away with it, uh, due to a fantastic strike from uh, Krustic, who t- continues to grow and grow uh, as a as a young footballer, making his name in international uh, football. Yeah, he gets on the team sheet every time for me. Um, he's been playing here and there for his club side in the Bundesliga. He's uh, been dropped from the lineup recently, um, but it's a very good side that he's competing for a place in and a very, very high-quality league. 
And um, as uh, the commentator Derek Ray told our, our good friend Joey Lynch the other week in a podcast, if it doesn't work out for him at Eintracht, there will be Bundesliga clubs lower down the league who will be queuing up for his services because he's got a level of technical precision and a level of maturity uh, that belies his uh, inexperience at international level. So I'm I'm thoroughly impressed with Hrustich. I'm still not quite sure what his best position is, uh, mm. but I think the team's always better with him in it. And I didn't feel that some of the mistakes that were attributed to him at the base of midfield were really his fault. I felt there were some uh, poor movement from those around him or not giving him the ball quickly enough that actually left him in the lurch a little bit. Well, and that is the problem uh, a lot of the time with some of our play at uh, at Socceroo level. It's it's the support, it's the it's the service, and uh, we keep hearing it in other competitions. Uh, for example, uh, one of the challenges that um, um, uh, one of the key strikers in the world, Harry Kane, playing for Spurs, he's just not getting the service. And indeed, when England played Hungary the other night at, at Wembley. That was, again, the one thing that they're not providing him on a consistent basis. And he's the sort of guy that thrives on opportunity. Uh, Those opportunities aren't coming. And the same applies whether it was Martin Boyle, uh, whether it was that uh, uh, Taggart early on. I thought he almost got that uh, that touch where he wanted it. The goalkeeper got the barest of, was a knuckle or a finger, and it ended up hitting the the um, the uh, the post. That would have been a terrific fillip for the Socceroos at that juncture. That would have been a reply to a terrific early goal and a mistake by the Australian defence. And that would have got us 1-1. And again, we may well have seen a little more positivity. It wasn't to be. And of course, uh, we were stranded very late in the game. An awkward moment for... Uh, a young guy who who is playing his trade in in Turkey and has continued to grow as a footballer, mm. but yeah, he was he was found out twice, and uh, it's look, uh, he just got to wear it. That end of story. We've just got to move on. Yeah, uh, the next game, it, it, he wants it. Arnie wants it to be played in Australia. Are we likely to see some of these restrictions open? I'm hearing there's some good news for the Matildas game coming up, uh, especially the one at. Uh, at the Combank, the new Combank, the newly named West, uh, what is it? The newly uh, Bank West Stadium in Sydney is now called the Combank Stadium. Um, and it's going to be, I think they're going to extend the, um, the tally and uh, the level of fans to about 75% of capacity, which means we may see something like, what, 20,000 in what is a 30,000-seater? Yeah, uh, hopefully, and I just hope the game can go ahead as planned, regardless of you know what percentage of crowd is permitted and, and so forth. I mean, that was almost the entirety of Graham Arnold's post-match interview dedicated to pleading with the Australian government to help them out in terms of staging the game because Australia in World Cup qualifying has always relied on home form, especially since we've moved into Asia, to get results. Our away form is always quite... Uh, spotty and then home we've been you know not unbeatable but very 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 solid 
uh, with home World Cup qualifying fixtures. So it's a major uh, disadvantage to have to play at these neutral venues in the Middle East. And it's not good for Socceroos fans who have these uh, terrible time zone differences trying to get up at 2, 3, 4 in the morning to watch the team. And it's not good for the players because they have no atmosphere and no familiarity with the, the circumstances. So if the Socceroos can get a home game against Saudi Arabia, I would like our chances if it's at a neutral venue which is much closer to Saudi Arabia than it is in a, uh, than it is Australia uh notably you know somewhere in the UAE or Qatar or wherever, wherever uh, that probably hands uh, them the advantage so it, it's it's going to be a tough game Saudi Arabia's playing well yeah absolutely uh, i have no doubt that it's going to be a tough game and these this has been the, the form guide for the last few campaigns um it seems to me that we are the testing team for the, uh, you know, the World Cup next year in uh, Qatar, because we're the we're the ones that are playing at, at Doha and making sure that the stadiums not only uh, look the part but uh, have uh, the uh, everything worked out. So when the World Cup clicks over, everything everything uh, tees off beautifully, and the sound looks good. The cameras are in the right position. And the and the grass is uh, spectacular, and the uh, air conditioning's terms, on. <laughs> oh, the air conditioning! Look, uh, it is uh, revolutionary what they're doing, allowing to allowing uh, the world to come in the height of summer and play in in a part of the world where you you wouldn't be putting competitive football on. But uh, they have done something quite extraordinary, um, and it's going to be a site um, that is going to shake so many people there are a lot of people who didn't want it to happen for obvious reasons there's been an awful lot of um things said about Qatar and how the the um, actual uh, bid was won but uh and indeed how those stadiums are constructed as well correct yes and what's going on and what's going on in the background uh mind you um this is all going on this narrative is all going on while we see uh, a huge announcement in the last uh, week in Britain where the uh, EPL has uh, accepted an offer from uh, a Saudi uh, consortium to take over one of the grand old uh, English football clubs, um, a club that uh, we've all admired for various reasons, uh, especially through the years. I'm talking about Newcastle United. And suddenly they've gone from the head case or the basket case of the EPL uh, under Michael Ashley, who the true supporters just said, we're over him. Mm. He's been using us as for whatever reason. Uh, let's just get him out of, of, the, of the league and let's get him away from Newcastle. And suddenly uh, this consortium has come along. It's had a couple of years uh, knocking on the door, finally the bid. And I think it all came down to a, a certain decision between Qatar and Saudi Arabia. I think being sport, they've been fighting this battle for about three or four years that the EPL rights that they were paying for were being pirated uh, by some elements in, in Saudi Arabia. And yes, the delightfully they... named Be Out Q, uh, which is a quite <laughs> incredible, uh, barefaced uh, knockoff of all of being sports content. Um, uh, it's an extraordinary situation. It's so brazen. It is brazen. And here we are, um, the 19 other EPL clubs, if you believe the latest uh, stories coming out of, uh, out of London and Manchester, 
they are furious that this consortium is up and running and no less their first game against my boys Tottenham. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to see was a fired up uh, St. James's Park and Newcastle, you know, hungry. And, uh, oh, look, it's, it's going to be electric, can I tell you? The coverage yeah. will be electric. It'll be, uh, if you don't want to see the whole game, there'll be a mega version of it. Uh, and it's not because it's, you know, that important, but because of the significance of the deal, everything now is going to be elevated because everyone's saying, we've seen the model that Manchester City threw up. We saw how Chelsea's reputation and career and CV uh, advanced immeasurably when this outside money in the shape of Roman Abramovich entered the EPL, changed their fortunes. And, hey, we are suddenly the richest club in the world, capital W. Um, What do you think? Is it going to be a super exciting weekend? Yeah, I, I think there will be a buzz about Newcastle. I'm a little bit uneasy about that buzz, if I'm honest, uh, given uh, the people Peacock, in charge. Andrew Peacock, who you know. Uh, Adam. Uh, uh, Adam Peacock, I'm sorry. I apologise. Uh, Freudian moment. <laughs> I knew an Andrew Peacock um, who really was uh, almost that far away from being Prime Minister of Australia once upon a time. <laughs> yes, indeed. The name Peacock, did sound familiar, George, yeah, but not the but, right one. But Adam Peacock, Adam Peacock, who's done a tremendous job with Fox, and he's doing some writing on the side. Uh, he, he, look, he, his family have been Newcastle mm. through and through. And he wrote a piece, I think, the other day with a very heavy heart and a very shaky uh, conscience saying, there's a part of me that just cannot wait to see Newcastle in this new era. And there's a part of me that goes, mm, should I care about what Amnesty International is saying? Mm. So there's a, look, we saw it only a few weeks ago on Four Corners on the ABC when they ran a story that was heavily advocated by Amnesty uh, Australia, talking about the sports washing and so on that, that has gone on or, or appears to have gone on. Uh, well, I think the stakes have changed immeasurably. Uh, if you sure. thought Australia was a story worth looking at, I think we pale very much in front of what's just transpired in Britain. Huge state of affairs. Um, and I think Newcastle... Uh, will will emerge, uh, and it won't be immediately because we've seen even with uh, uh, Melbourne City, the takeover that was originally Melbourne Heart, mm-hmm. uh, it took a few years. And I remember hearing from the hierarchy, the, the city group saying to us, it won't happen overnight. It cannot happen. We have to play within the, the time frame and the, and the rules. We can't just throw money at them. And the same applies with the fair play initiatives in Britain, um, I don't believe they can go and spend half a billion dollars, uh, sorry, half a billion pounds um, in in the next week, can they? Well, it's uh, going to be interesting in January. It's funny looking at Forget the... Forget January. Of... I just said in the next couple of weeks, they, <laughs> they can't spend half a billion. No, no transfer window open at the moment, unfortunately. But uh... Does the coach stay? Here's a question I have oh. for you. Does their coach stay? If they want to endear themselves to Newcastle supporters immediately, which, you know, the supporters with dollar signs in their eyes have probably already been endeared to uh, His Excellency Mohammed bin Salman. But yep. if they want to really cement uh, their hero status with 
these fed-up Newcastle United fans, they need to look no further than sacking Steve Bruce immediately. He is a symbol of okay. all it's the all mediocrity at Newcastle. I don't know if it's really his fault, but the Newcastle fans hate him, so he is out okay. of there. Okay. Here's the question I have for you. Can you see a coach immediately you could pick up and drop straight in? Antonio Conte. Straight away. But Conte says he doesn't want it. Does he? Okay, Conte, I haven't seen those Conte comments. Conte has said, Antonio Conte says, he will take any other group that's that much closer. He wants to win the title. Yeah. He doesn't want to build. It's We're hearing it in, in, a, in, a host of, in a host of other sports where coaches come in and they realise they have a four, five, six-year um, opportunity to build a squad from almost naught. Now, it's not quite naught at Newcastle, but they're in the lower reaches of the EPL. Um, they have some talent, but do you give Bruce, with this newfound money and support, a chance to show what he can do over the next half a dozen uh, weeks or the, the you know at least a couple of months till Christmas, till January? Or do you go, gone tomorrow, and you put someone in for Sunday and saying he's the caretaker until the contracts are assigned for the next big thing. And who is the next big thing if it's not Conte? If they're going for a younger manager who they want to build around, they could think about someone like Steven Gerrard trying to get him away from Rangers because he, I think he's proven his credentials in winning the title in Scotland. Uh, if okay. they want to go even bigger name, I mean... Newcastle fans still love Rafa Benitez. He seems to be a bit busy at Everton. I don't know how. And doing a good job. I, doing a good job. I'm just looking at the man, the the odds from the odds makers as to who they think is going to going to join. Lucien Favre is a name that's come up, and a name that's also been ridiculed by some in the British media who I don't think are familiar enough with his work. Uh, he's a very good coach. I don't know if it's the right fit. He does have uh, a bit of a temper. I mean, so does Antonio Conte, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. he, he has played some pretty entertaining football and is very experienced. Um, and I, I would be excited to see him in England. Uh, I'm not the sure... British, the British, if... Josh, have been notorious mm. for uh, having a go at people that they don't readily recognise. Yes. You remember, you remember the brouhaha number of years ago, and it's quite a number of years ago now, when a guy called Arsene Wenger was handed the reins at Arsenal, and they went, who? Yeah, indeed. And, 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 and the cultural shift that Arsene Wenger then started to enact, all you kept hearing, there were stories every other week, and I can tell you that because I remember um, being on air and, and reporting on it. Uh, I think uh, in, the, in the days when I was uh, doing uh, more sport uh, on television, and uh, we kept hearing from some of the favoured sons of Arsenal who couldn't re- uh, who couldn't believe they were being told no more beer, yeah, no, no more uh, Tuesday no, club, no more no more fish and chips, uh, no more this, no more that, and they were asking them to not only change their diets but change their ways. And there were people saying that this can't be right, and it was and it wasn't Merson, mind you, Merson seems to say silly things all the time, but there were a host of others who were mimicking the sorts of headlines that Paul Merson comes up with almost every other week. Uh, he is a clown and, and, and people enjoy his commentary quite a deal. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we all, we all need a clown in our lives, especially when, when our lives uh, have been so difficult over the last couple of years. But we have seen the British uh, and the British press in particular 
uh, scoff at just about every uh, name that's thrown up. I'm just thinking, other than the one you've just named, is there another significant coach or manager that you would you would say they're primed and ready? It's interesting because I'm not sure what the priority is going to be for this group. I don't know if they want to go for a star attraction, a, a rock star manager or a Mourinho type to You remember what City did? Name. Remember yeah. what City did at the very beginning? Yeah, indeed. I mean, they had Mark Hughes, did they not? Yeah. Um, so they, they stayed with Hughesy. Yep. Yeah, brought him in, stayed with him for a little while then realised that the Pellegrinis had become and others. Yeah, Mancini and, and we, first, I think it was. Yeah, the Mancinis and so on. And we saw, you know, the, the emergence of that new cultural shift at Manchester City. And, you know, it's been, it's been phenomenal. Now, if that's the model, and I put it to you, the Saudi group and, and their, their CEO or their head of mission, uh, shall we say, Miss Staverley, um, she looks the good. She sounds like she knows what she's talking about. And it would be terrific to see uh, her lead a consortium that really uh, kicks the EPL right between the ribs because they need it. Lord knows they need it. They're, they're, some of them are set in their ways. It's, it's a little uh, bit of an indictment. Exciting. It's a little bit of an indictment, George, on the... Uh the state of modern football and money sort of ruling everything that uh, you need to accept a takeover from a despotic regime in order to compete for trophies in England. I mean, it's... Uh... Uh, well, it's interesting you say that, but I throw something else at you. The American sports owners have been just as notorious. We've had some you know, truly um, uh, quixotic uh, owners of football clubs and basketball clubs and baseball clubs in America, and some of them very heavy-handed, some of them ruthless to the core. And yet, you know, if they had the money, it uh, didn't matter whether they were, you know, uh, in court for, uh, you know, and convicted for anything. Um, it was all, it was all, it's just get out team and win a title or win a premiership and the fans will go with you. And it's mm. been the case we saw, um, you know, the great George Steinbrenner um, actually, you know, thrown away from the game. He was told to step away from his new acquisition, the New York Yankees, and he put a bunch of caretakers in and he was told to stay away. He then allowed them, or sorry, they all allowed him to come back. But this is after the caretaker group had begun this new era and it started winning in a meaningful fashion. So it wasn't Steinbrenner. It was Steinbrenner's money that got the New York Yankees back in, into this dynasty mode. But, you know, his reputation goes back and it was littered with uh, some very interesting stories. So sport, it's a very different commodity. It's not a government. Um, no. The politics is, is, is very, very different. Uh, even even um, some of the sports that we know so very well littered with, uh, you know, chairmen and, and presidents who've had <laughs> reputations that have gone like this, you know. They've gone higher than the, uh, than the Bezos rocket and come down a, a little harder, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm starry-eyed and naive, George, but I, I long for <laughs> something beyond Never. Know, franchises Never. Yeah. and something approaching fan ownership or uh, valuing football clubs for the, like the community assets that they are rather than... You know, I think being... the Germans, 
I think the Germans have done a fabulous job keeping yeah, exactly. the Bundesliga. Yeah. I mean, people but, say it's an uncompetitive division, but if you actually, you know, see the atmosphere at Bundesliga games, the fans care very deeply and it uh, matters to them so much more because they have a stake in the decision-making and they have uh, they feel that they belong to the club because they do, they own it. It's uh, It's really quite something and I think it generates a less transactional and more... Uh, a, a tighter bond between club and fans, uh, the model in Germany. And I think that's why their attendances are still, you know, the highest in world football. Um, look, I've watched the, the Bundesliga and it's been uh, an extraordinary league. Um, yes, you're right. There, there's been uh, Bayern München uh, and they are, uh, you know, quite something. Uh, and they've been a powerhouse forever and a day, but they've had some of the biggest names in German football forever and a day. Yep. And when you're going to have, you know, such influential people of that caliber who have been competitors, who have been winners, and I was listening to Jürgen Klinsmann talking only the other day, and he said uh, whenever there's a tournament, uh, it's absolutely written in the contract that Germany must be competitive. Not will they be or won't they be, must be. It's absolutely a requirement. And maybe uh, and it is seeing... the Bundesliga that Newcastle should look to for their next manager. I mean, they're probably well, leading Europe in terms of coaching and uh, innovation when it comes to football. I don't love all the innovations. I despair a little bit at Julian Nagelsmann wanting to put uh, earpieces in his players' ears so he can communicate with them like NFL quarterbacks, but he seems to want to... Uh, play all his puppets and pull all the strings at once and automate everything without having players make their own decisions. But I think, you know, I think right. you know, the the game is is always evolving in Germany, and I think that's where you see a lot of the yeah innovation these days. So maybe that's where you know Newcastle should look uh, if they're going to look within England for their next coach. I think if maybe he doesn't have the uh, name recognition and the star quality but i think he's done a fabulous job and that's graham potter at brighton oh yes i think he's an amazing young coach who is doing great things with meager resources but you you saw the level of vitriol directed against him uh when he was put up as a potential name for tottenham hotspur and it's silly they went they went potter you know and this is one of the challenges whichever organization now is in control and it will be stably as a consortium. They've got to have that courage of their convictions. I'm sure deep down, now that we know that they're in, they've got all the, uh, as they say, the balls uh, in the right order. And I put it to you that there are contracts ready to be signed. Uh, I would think they're that, they're that far advanced, even if, if they're not telling us and they're not showing all their cards to, and why should they? Because at the end of the day, it's all about competition. And uh, I would keep all my cards to myself, thank you very much, until I needed to play them. And I put it to you that uh, it's going to be one heck of a, of a journey. And it's going to be interesting to see the the magpies, the, the black and white, uh, you know, become a force again in the EPL. And that the questions are going to be now, how many players will Manchester United lose how many will defect from Chelsea? This will be, you know, for years we've been hearing, oh, look, who's Manchester United going to take from you, right? And that's been the case. I mean, uh, at Tottenham, for example, we lost a, a bundle 
uh, Teddy Sheringham went. Caddick went, who's a terrific young talent. Um, Berbatov went. Uh, and, of course, uh, everyone was saying only a couple of years ago, Harry Kane's got to go to Manchester United. Well, hey, guys, I'm here to tell you that Manchester United's going to find out what it feels like to be um, a club that uh, is now a target for yeah. uh, intervention. It's going to be very interesting. Well, a lot of attitudes of, are going to change. Speaking of Spurs, I mean, are Newcastle tempted to make him the new Alan Shearer, the new oh, English hey, listen, centrepiece? Hey, you, the first thing that's got to happen at Newcastle this weekend, Shearer's bar has got to return. <laughs> because apparently when the um, when Shearer fell out with Michael Ashley, he changed the bar and he called it, I think, the nine bar or mm. whatever, uh, or the striker's bar. But I think if you the first thing, if you want to show this real change in Newcastle, bring back Shearer's name because he deserves it. You know, yeah. fantastic talent. And and his reputation among fans survived a relegation even. So Correct, correct. <laughs> that correct. shows you how high regard he's held. We've got some comments, George, uh, on the national team. Michael says next game against Saudi will be tough. We, we agree on that front. Uh, Robert says we need Leckie back in the next game. Said Bates should have been taken off early. Uh, and he thinks uh, Rustic is better as an attacking mi- midfielder as opposed to playing a, at the base in midfield. Um, Yao Jung says the CSL, the Chinese Super League, is restarting next week and Moy might have regular club games again. Interesting. Uh, they did suspend it because of COVID. And also they were trying to facilitate the Chinese national team's World Cup schedule, which I don't think has really uh, benefited the Chinese national team if you look at their results. But anyway, and uh, Brenton says uh, the Matildas versus Brazil game will be 75% capacity, so 22,500 at Combank Stadium. As announced this morning, Fantastic. so that's that. I mean, that's that's a cracking atmosphere. Yeah, it will be, and uh, and uh, Brazil will come looking to uh, to upset the Matildas, who um, just as of late haven't really hit their their straps. Um, I'm I'm liking though the look of some of the youngsters. I love the introduction of the youngsters, um, and I love the look. I love the comment that we got about Krustic playing. Uh, further up as an attacking mm. uh, threat because he's shown that he has that precision and he has a great eye for goal. And he can beat a player one-on-one as I was, well. I don't I mind him say, on the would, wing, on the right wing coming inside on, onto his left foot as we saw in his debut. i tell you what, I, I thought Martin Boyle did very well, cutting that ball back just, mm. just that far. And um, yes, we didn't get the penalty, but, but again, who was attacking it? Grustich. Yes, indeed. Correct. Exactly. So you play him up a little bit further up, we may, we may get some more positive results. But, uh, hey, look, uh, it's been a, a very busy week of football news and there's uh, and it's trickling down. We're hearing more and more now about the new A-League. I noticed that immediately after the international between Australia and Japan, we saw a couple of teasers and a, a bit of a, um, a, a profile piece on the new victory coach. Yeah, indeed. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Popper. We hadn't heard a word from Popper until the other night. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Victory have gone about their business quietly and most of their communications have been less to the media and more directly to the email inboxes of their supporters. The uh, messages from Anthony DiPietro to members and indeed past members, you're on, if you're on the mailing list, you're getting it. Uh, they're usually notified of major developments and signings first. And it's part of, I think, a club strategy to make supporters feel like their opinions are valued Man, and that the club it. is trying to significantly alter uh, the the uh, model, I suppose, that has led to uh, a couple of very, very poor seasons. And, you know, I, I've been pretty impressed with most of their off-field um, restructuring and obviously Tony Popovich's major uh, acquisition, acquisition as head coach. Yeah. But also, Tell me something. What did you make of his comments? Um, with regard to what specifically about... The, the the fact that he it's the biggest club in Australia and it needs to get back to that footing. Uh, victory creates headlines like no no else I, I, li- I liked it I liked I liked that approach immediately. Yeah. He set he put he put um, uh, you know a, a marker down, and this is what it's about. He's here to lead the biggest club in Australia back to the top. And Tony now, Popovich you're still do has something, something to prove. I like that. He's oh, still yeah. got something to prove as an A-League coach because he's never won an A-League championship. And if he didn't think he could do that at victory, I don't think he would have signed the contract. No, I think I think he's learned an awful lot from his time at Perth Glory. Uh, and um, and there's some interesting news that has come out of that. We've now heard that uh, one of their stars the last half a dozen years, uh, Castro, who who has been at mm. you know, just such a such a joy to watch in the A-League, um, has um, basically um, uh, left... That door closed. Now, uh, Daniel Sturridge is the man who will come in and light the wick and try and get uh, the purple flames to heat up the A-League. And I'm talking about now some of the the attacking uh, props that uh, the glory have. It'll be very exciting. And especially when the, the first time they play Melbourne Victory, that'll be also very interesting because he will have put many of those players... Uh, in in the squad, he will have led them uh, on a couple of campaigns. So interesting times, interesting yeah, times. I'm looking forward to that that kind of showdown. I wonder if Castro is retiring. He is 39, but does he feel like he could get another season there? Or you know, he seems pretty happy in Australia you're, now. So maybe you'll play you, in the NPL. Maybe you'll ride off old. into the sunset in his caravan. <laughs> you're not old enough, but a long, long time ago, long, long time ago, there was a guy called Stanley Matthews who was oh, yeah. knighted for his efforts, became Sir Stanley Matthews. He played for Stoke, mate, until he was 56. And that was that was in the upper reaches of the English First Division. Yes, very different game, I, I admit. But 56, you don't have a right to play competitive football at 56. And we're not talking Sunday leagues either. All right? He played, um, you know, seriously... Um, attractive and competitive football into his fifties. That's 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 remarkable, isn't it? And it's funny so, because most of the players that have those sorts of ridiculous longevity, uh, including Matthews, I believe, and you know even across other sports like Tom Brady, for example, yeah, uh, just sort of mad fitness gurus who have really disciplined lifestyles. 
yeah, and yeah. Uh, for all for all Diego Castro's qualities, I don't think he actually falls into that category at all off the field. He's, uh, you know, he enjoys life. He doesn't like preseason. He often uses the first few weeks of the A League season to play himself into shape. Um, so to be going for as long as he has done when he's not that kind of, you know, mad fitness, um, you know, doing crazy experimental diets and regimes in the off season. Ronaldo. 39. Amazing. Ronaldo like. <laughs> yeah, not, not at all. I mean, gr- granted, Diego Castro's game didn't rely on running a whole lot. It was uh, no, thinking no, first and having a better touch than anybody else on the pitch. That, that and vision. Uh, and vision. That. And vision. His the ability to see opportunity yeah, exactly. and thread a and thread a pass through a, a you know a, a really a, a blocked uh, midfield or a you know a packed defense that was his his artwork and and Diego Castro um, just lit up so many games for us uh, and you're right he didn't have to run too far but when he did run they were they were like surgical incisions and you went oh my god because so often it was against Melbourne City at critical <laughs> times of the competition. And I was there to see them live. And let me tell you, a part of me was going, oh, my God, how magnificent. And another part of me, was, the other part of my body was going, oh, damn, here we go. We're going to cop another goal. And, and that is special. Yeah. When you, you don't hate an opponent, but when you sit and hold your breath when they do something because you know that they're that capable, that they can turn the game. It's that feeling of um, yeah. dread in the pit of your stomach, oh, yeah. isn't it, George? Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, look, we're going to see so much more of it because there are some exciting things happening. And you touched on one of the other replies. They said they want to see Leckie back in the soccer race. Well, if we play in Australia, there's every chance that Arnie yeah. will, go, will go to Matthew and go, Matthew, now that you're settled in at the city, uh, come and play the soccer race. And I'm sure you're right. He will add, or as the, um, the uh, viewer or the uh, listener uh, alluded to, he would make a serious difference because he just plays that game a little bit differently and runs into positions that others dare not. And he's brave as when he goes with his head. Um, and he can do some other things too that uh, make him a very exciting threat going forward. He's always been a good goal scorer for the Socceroos. Seems to score important goals and arrive in dangerous positions at the back post in the penalty area. I think he's uh, wholly capable of playing as an out-and-out number nine if he needs to, as well as you know his usual positions on the wings. But more than anything, I think him being back in the 11 would give the Socceroos uh, an opportunity to press higher up the park and more uh, effectively. Because at the moment, you've got players like Taggart and Boyle who will do a lot of hard running, and a lot of uh, pressing, but the next line, the next wave of pressure uh, is non-existent. And it was against Japan because you had Rogic and Moy, and neither of those guys, for all their quality, are going to do that much defensive work. They're just not athletically uh, gifted in that sense. And so Here's a question. Japan's, Here's a question. there was a midfielder from Japan who just completely dominated at sort of the back of the center circle and was getting the ball time and time and time again. You Tanaka. Look at, Tanaka. Uh, yeah, I think it was. Um, mm. uh, no, Endo, sorry, Endo. Endo, uh, right. Wataru yeah. Endo is trying, who am yeah. I thinking of, the number six. Yeah. And if you look at there's there's past maps and, and uh, the AFC puts up these brilliant infographics where you can select a player and you can see 
every position in which he received the ball. And there's this big hot spot just behind Japan's, uh, inside Japan's half and just behind the center circle where Australia couldn't touch him. And if you have Leckie back in that team, you've got another willing mongrel presser who you can deploy and try and shut down uh, those kinds of creative players. And I think that gives it an extra edge. Here's a question for you, question without notice. Uh, and by the way, you're listening to State of Our Football Nation on FNR, George Danikin, along with my uh, co-partner, Josh Parrish. And we're talking about uh, football around the, around the world, football in Australia. We've talked about international football, and of course, we're talking about the Socceroos in Japan. Uh, question mark, if we play the next game against Saudi in Australia, do you think there is a chance that Arnie may well recruit or indeed choose to pick some of the smarter youngsters like Azani or Marco Tilio as, a, as an impact player to come off the bench? I would, I would love that. And, you know, there's... It would require a little bit of, um, you know, positional rotation. But given that we know Tom Rogic is not really a 90-minute player most of the time, is there an argument that he and Arzani, who is also rarely a 90-minute player, could (laughs) develop some kind of job share? Because at the moment, um, the the usual sub at the 80th minute is they call them like... platoon players exactly in, in baseball the, so uh... we should have platoon players in the uh, soccer rear liner well I, I think the the usual swap is Frustich goes higher and then someone like Jago comes on at the base of midfield yes um, but could you potentially say Frustich starts on a flank like he has earlier Rogic starts in the number 10 role but then at the 60, 70, 80 minute mark when Rogic is Withdrawn. done, yeah. in comes someone like Arzani and Hrustic moves into the number 10 position. And I think that would give the soccer is a little bit more creativity and uh, attacking verve in the last 15, 20 minutes of games. I hope we can send this podcast to Arnie. Make him think. <laughs> Make him think. Not that we're experts, but uh, we love the game and uh, we want to, uh, uh, as they say, explore as many opportunities as possible. Mm. Speaking of exploring um, uh, some stories and some uh, subjects, uh, we need to look at some of the changes, the potential changes to the uh, NPL. And of course, the the talk is bubbling uh, behind the scenes about uh, A-League 2 men's and women's, uh, men's essentially first up. Uh, Should we take a break and then come back after that and discuss it and uh, and yeah, some absolutely. of the things that might might be happening. This is uh, FNR, State of Our Football Nation with George and Josh. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. State of Our Football Nation on FNR. George and Josh talking all manner of things that uh, have been affecting us and affecting the game and of course there's a brand new A-League season getting ever closer and uh, we're all excited and looking forward to not only seeing some of the youngsters and how they progress one year on but uh, we're also hearing that there's uh, there's going to be um, one, two, three or four players from overseas who are going to add uh, a very special luster to the game and uh, none more so than the man from the uh, EPL, the, the former Manchester City, the former Chelsea, the former uh, Liverpool man, 
Daniel Sturridge. I, I, I got very excited when I watched your face last week when we were talking about Daniel Sturridge, especially with Tony Sage. And you were saying he's got it covered. He's former Man City, former Chelsea, former Liverpool. Uh, there isn't a fan base that misses out unless you're – I don't think you play for Tottenham. So, yeah. It's uh... – it's funny. Uh, I think one of uh, the CFG employees and actually plays for Preston, James Poole, will be looking to catch up with Daniel Sturridge because they played in the same uh, youth team uh, uh. when City made... I think they won the FA Youth Cup. I'm pretty sure James Poole was in the same team as him. and He's just moved clubs, gone to Dandenong Thunder so he can be next door to, to Casey Fields where they're training now. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure he'll be at uh, Amy Park when Perth come to play and uh, looking to get a a selfie with a teammate of yesteryear. It's well, funny, anyone, there's so many connections in the game that you never that you, you stumble across. And, uh, I was going to say, if, if anyone can get a, a selfie, it'll be a former teammate. <laughs> exactly. uh, because I, I understand the, uh, the foundations for those friendships uh, you know, hang in there for a long time. The, the, the English system thrives on it, and, and it's part of the tradition, isn't it? You, know, you, you came along together, you, you understood and you fought for one another you also fought against one another but at all times uh, those friendships uh, you know resonate and you see it right across the league uh, you you see it in interna- international football especially during the re- recent international uh, change uh, i was watching argentina lining up against uh, uruguay and of course uh, half the players uh, know one another they've played with one another it was messi go down it was Suarez, uh, Lo Celso, uh, Romero, and on and on it went. It was, look, this is the world. It's global. It's a global game. Mm. The players play on so many different stages. And, you know, they, they're bound to run into one another. And on one level, it's exciting. As, a, as, a, as an old-time fan, it's, it gets a bit irritating when we've lost and they all hug and smile and <laughs> shake hands with one. I sit there and go, no. Do that, do that off the field so I don't have to watch it, so I can live in my, my little space that says, I hate that player. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, George, uh, speaking of the MPL, speaking of the MPL, we ah, should yes. give an update, as promised, on Twitter by yours truly. Because have, you got, have you got something tonight. for me? Okay. Well, it is meant to be D-Day. Are we going to get a decision tonight, do you think? We will get a decision one way or another, is what I've been told. This is the final vote. Uh, from the FV board on the proposal, okay. and we should have an official announcement tomorrow if successful. As okay, to bring whether... us up to speed. For those that haven't caught up, uh, give, just round it out and explain to uh, all and sundry what the decision is about tonight. So uh, a few weeks ago, Football Victoria declared the NPL season, both men's and women's, Cancel. null and void, and that yep. uh, held across all state league competitions as well. And no champions were awarded, no promotion and relegation. And that's the crucial part, promotion, because so many clubs had been on the verge of going up after investing considerable time and resources into their coaching and playing squads over the course of the season and, you know, struggling to keep hold of sponsors who were, you know, wondering when on earth we're going to have a complete um, Victorian season and they're going to have an opportunity to progress. So uh, 40 plus clubs have joined forces um, under the United Football Group banner. And we spoke to Dave Svekovsky last week uh, as one of their representatives. Um, they've 
been lobbying Football Victoria to to embrace a, a restructure as opposed to you know traditional promotion and relegation. And one of the options on the table that I think suits all parties is for promotion to be honoured, uh, no relegation because the season wasn't completed, and promotion based on either ladder position or points per game if there's a discrepancy in, in games played. And then, of course, there is nowhere to be promoted from MPL uh, 1 at the moment, so that competition would swell to 16 teams, and MPLW, the women, would be expanded to 10 teams, which I think is sorely needed regardless of any restructure or any uh, talk uh, of, of abandoned seasons. So I'm hopeful that this will go through because I think it will uh, lend a degree of... Uh, yeah, it will be reinvigorating, I think, for a league that's threatening to go stale with the third campaign in a row with the same teams. And, yep. you know, those clubs who've... Um, had such amazing campaigns and after two-thirds of a season complete have missed out, won't be feeling so uh, aggrieved and heartbroken going into next season. I think it's a big win for all parties and I'm hoping uh, Football Victoria gives it the green light. I know there are logistical challenges with venues and so forth with more games in the top flight, but I, I don't think they're insurmountable. No, I, I agree. We, we, we talked with David last week and we said to him, do you think they can be brave enough and bold enough to re reimagine next season. And he got excited by that talk. Mm. And I think he may have taken part of the podcast and, uh, and offered it up as a bit of um, you know, ammunition about what's possible if only we have the will. If we have the collective will, I think something can happen and uh, it would be delicious and appropriate if we could get the CEO uh, to join us next week and talk some more about uh, you know the decision making, which would be seriously exciting. Um, the other thing I, I want to talk to you about is the new A League season. Uh, as you know, new partnership Channel Ten have started to flex some of their muscle. We've started to see some of their programming. Uh, very interesting. Some of the things that need tweaking. We, mm -hmm. I'm hoping to catch up and uh, get on on the uh, on the uh, FNR set. Uh, Jeff Bullock formerly with Fox, but now the man behind the scenes shaping this, this new football presentation. And, and, and I, want him, I want him to you know, roll up his sleeves and tell us just how different it's going to look and how it's going to feel and where they're pitching it. And I think that'll uh, surprise you. Uh, mm -hmm. I, actually, it won't surprise you. I think it'll please you because they're going young. Uh, they're, they're, they believe that it's about changing not only the look, the feel, and the sound of the game, uh, but they're also looking to do it in a in a fashion that we haven't had a chance, nor have we enjoyed it quite like this before. And Ten is arming itself uh, with its Ten Play, with its bold uh, streaming platform, uh, with its uh, Ten Free to Air, and of course uh, the Paramount Plus edition, which is a brand new offering. And, uh, and for football fans who love their clubs, I think they're going to be very, very pleasantly surprised. We, we may be able to give them an all-access pass to, uh, to get very excited about something they've never had uh, available to them before in this code in this mm. country. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to know what the plans are. There's talk of uh, introducing uh, some more stats and tactics and so forth and I, I nerd out about that stuff so i'm definitely well the keen. technology the technology and the data 
has never been more available than it is right now. There are some terrific companies now, whether it's SAP, whether it's uh, some of the legit logistic groups that, uh, you know, applying their, their, their talents to all the big leagues around the, around the world. We're seeing it more and more. You're getting heat maps, you're getting uh, tactical decisions, you're getting ISO. Once upon a time, we used to talk about the ISO camera. You know, we, we decided we're going to watch uh, Daniel Sturridge or we're going to watch Diego Maradona and we'd have one camera just on them. Well, now not only they're giving us a camera, they're giving us all the movement. And you can see uh, Messi walking, you know, and where he walks and why he walks. Yeah. And then you see those magnificent moments where he presses that, that incision button and it's like a, a, a hot scalpel, you know, cutting through the, the defensive shape of, of the opposition. And it's just the most exhilarating thing on the planet. And you see it in a way that we've never been allowed to before or it, it hasn't been on offer before. And it, yeah. as you touched on, you love that stuff. It increases the level of punditry when the pundits have the data and the proof, the 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 angles and the replays it backs, at their it fingertips. Backs them up. It exactly, backs and it, I think it gives yeah. them more new perspectives and and ways to explain it, well, what they it, well, what they know intuitively, you know, to the audience. It also allows them to break down the, the triangles. Mm. We talk about diamonds and this. And once you see them and how they work, and 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 that's that's a, a completely new way of interpreting the game for a new audience, and I think exactly. it's sensational. Mate, but George, it's, it's we better go, to go because we've got a history show coming up next. And George, What's the history uh, subject this week. Uh, well, there's, there's they've got plenty to talk about. Um, there's two right. guests on the show today: Greg Downs, but also uh, your old mate Andy Pascalides is making a guest appearance. Well, send him my best wishes. <laughs> He's right, uh, got a rather somber subject, um, but I think it will be a fond tribute to... Uh, John Economou. Yes, indeed. Yeah, okay. Uh, a legend Great guy. of There Australian was only one of John, one John E.E. There was only one, and I hope we don't bring the glossary out. You know what I'm talking about. Johnny Economist was uh, one great character, and very few people realise his love of the game and how much he contributed to the early successive days, sorry, success days of St. George, the old St. George Budapest in Sydney. He he really was quite a character. I can't wait for that. That's coming up straight after this, so stick around for If You Know History and Andy Pascalides. Thanks, George. Bye-bye. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.